This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode 132 for Wednesday, November 6, 2013. It is our weekly feedback show, so we are going to do all the holy craps that we did not do on the regular episode on Monday. I call that the Sleepy Monday. Sleepy Monday, okay. Yeah, on Sleepy Monday. So we're going to do those holy craps, and then we are going to get in the feedback into the feedback which is kind of uh, an accumulation of the last couple of weeks worth because, you know, we've been so busy lately with Walker Stalker Con and driving and flying all over the place that we, uh, I, we, we didn't do as much feedback in the last little while as I would like. So we have should lots we, of it tonight. Should we call it the feedback feedback? Oh, the feedback. Fe- I, can, I don't know if I can say that. Feedback feedback. Feedback feedback. The feedback of feedback. For 132 episodes into this podcast, that would have been a good idea on episode three. You know, four years ago, we didn't have as many good ideas as we do now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, we won't call it that, but it is a feedback of feedback. All right. Maybe there'll be. Maybe we'll come up with some other kind of name, but I like that. Maybe we can think about it a little bit. All right. Before we get into all that feedback of feedback, uh, I want to make a quick announcement. And that is that our friends, our good podcasting friends, Jason and Karen over at The Walking Dead cast, have been uh, nominated for a podcast award this this year. And I want to encourage everybody to go over to podcastawards.com and vote for them. You can do that once a day, every day for two weeks. Now, we're already at least a few days into the voting period, so I think you may have about a week and a half left to go. But you can do it once a day, every day. And the more you do that, the more votes they get and the better chance they have of winning. Now, why do I want them to win, you may ask, when we have a perfectly good Walking Dead podcast right here, right now? Mm -hmm. Because they're friends of ours and we are not nominated and they are. And when they win, we all win. Everybody wins. That's the way I see it. So... Um, you know, I want to support what they're doing. I want to support them just because they're cool. And uh, so go to podcastawards.com and submit a vote for them. One a day if you can afford the time. All right. So you, uh, the, the way that the saying goes is you can't win if you don't play, right? For Correct. Like the lottery and stuff like that. The way I think I, I try to look at these things is you can't lose if you're not nominated. Uh, right? You so, can't lose if you're not nominated. Right. So we're not nominated. So we can't lose, so Jason and Karen might as well win. Okay, I get it now. We cannot lose (laughs) or win, so they might as well win. Exactly. All righty, perfect. Go to podcastawards.com and vote for The Walking Dead cast, and uh, we'll have a big... uh, They'll do something special if they win. That's what they said. I don't know what it is, but they'll do something special. So if you're a listener of theirs, you obviously know all about them, and you know who they are, and you're probably wanting to vote anyways. If you're not a listener, go give them a chance. Can't hurt. That's right. There you go. I think it'd be great if they won. That'd be fantastic. It would be very, very cool. I'd be very happy for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, all righty. So first, I think we're going to do holy crap, and then the listener feedback. Now, as I said, there's a fair bit of it here, but I still had to cut some stuff. I couldn't possibly uh, play or read all of the feedback we got. So please don't be upset if your call or email 
isn't in this list. Um, we do read everything we get and listen to everything we get, and I do try to respond to a lot of it, especially the stuff that we don't we don't put on the show. But uh, some of it was just cut out because it was uh, either no longer relevant or it was discounted somehow in the episode since uh, this that we've had this fri- uh, this Sunday, um, or we've already talked about it in some way on the show, or I just had to trim it for time or something like that. So. It might not be in there, but uh, thank you to everyone who wrote in or called in and uh, keep doing so. And you will be on the show at some point. I pretty much guarantee it. Pretty much. Pretty much. It's a pretty much guarantee. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. So let's begin with this. Holy crap. Did you see that? Okay, our first holy crap, did you see that, is Call from John in Chicago. Hey guys, uh, this is John from Chicago. I'm calling in with my holy crap, did you see that? I've actually got three that I'm going to give you real fast. My first one was the uh, scene where the gang is going out to the veterinary hospital. They get stuck in a huge crowd of zombies and they have to go reverse and they get stuck and they're spinning their wheels on all the zombie heads. That was number one. Number two was Tyrese. And his, once he gets out of the car, he's surrounded by the zombies, just hacking them left and right and doesn't even seem to get touched by them. Reminded me of the scene in Tombstone when uh, Wyatt Earp is wading out into the river just firing his gun with no cover at all, and everybody's amazed uh, that he's not getting hit. And then finally, my third holy crap, did you see that, is, wow, uh, the Talking Dead uh, show, I watched it for a minute or two after Walking Dead was over, Marilyn Manson is old. Okay, that's it. Thanks for a great show, guys. <laughs> Marilyn Manson is old. So I, I wanted to play that because there are three good choices, or uh, at least two good choices and one funny one. And um, a lot of people, like the internet exploded in nerd rage when Marilyn Manson was on Talking Dead, AMC's Talking Dead, because he was stoned or something the whole time, and he made no sense when he was talking. It was rather hilarious. <laughs> I did not see that, but I wish I did. Uh, yeah, it's, you could probably find it somewhere, um, but he was probably the worst guest guest that has ever been on that show. So uh, there you go. This next one is Nikki from upstate New York. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Nikki from upstate New York calling with my holy crap, did you see that moment? And I think it's going to have to be on how emotionless Carol was when Rick confronted her about killing Karen and the other guy. I mean... That's somebody that used to be afraid of her own shadow, and she's now become this incredibly strong person. And the my other moment is the look on her face of just being absolutely annoyed that he's bringing it up at that moment in time. I uh, love your guys' podcast. Glad you're back. Uh, have a good day. Bye. So what I liked about this one, Jason, is that Nikki was saying how emotionless Carol was when Rick accused her of, of killing Karen and David, and her response was sort of deadpan and kind of emotionless, which is in contrast to the way she had reacted in the next episode. She was she had lots of emotion in that episode, whether it was misguided or not, she certainly did, and then she cried, of course, when he banished her. So uh, right. it's a bit of a flip-flop for Car- Carol, it seems, anyways. It does seem like a bit of a flip-flop, but maybe she was stealing herself earlier for the inevitable question because she knows uh, Rick's not an idiot and uh, was eventually going to ask her if she, uh, if, she, if she did that. And so she was preparing her. She was well pre- emotionally prepared for that answer. 
but uh, once they got alone in the car, she wasn't completely emotionally prepared for what was happening uh, that time. Right. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Okay, this call comes from Chuck in Chesapeake, and it's a little uh, poor on the quality side, so I apologize for that, but here it is. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Chuck from Chesapeake, Virginia, and uh, just watching Isolation for the third time, and I picked up on something. It's at the moment where um, Daryl looks over at Herschel and he says, it's always the same. Sooner or later, we run. And the camera looks over at Herschel, who quickly changes his mind, but it also pans over to Michonne, who just last week couldn't walk unaided. So I guess my holy crap, did you see that moment was the miraculous healing of Michonne. Anyways, hope you guys have had a great time at Walker Stalker, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you, Chuck. Jason, anything to say on the uh, quick healing of Michonne's ankle? Uh, I believe uh, he, Chuck is correct that uh, it is r- miraculously uh, quick healing, but I think uh, this might be one of those worlds where quick healing is the norm. It may be. Or maybe she's just got a weak ankle like I do. Like, I twist my ankle all the time, but rarely do I do it badly enough that I am not sort of back up on my feet, you know, within 12 to 24 hours kind of thing. It's just a minor thing for me. Herschel lost his foot, and he was back on his feet within like 24 to 48 hours, it felt like. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So quick healing it is. (laughs) Yeah. All right. This call comes from Michael in Alabama. Hey, guys. This is Michael from Alabama. I'm glad you all had a great time at the Walker Soccer Con, and I wanted to give a little bit of um, my thoughts on the last episode, uh, specifically about Lizzie in that quarantine area. Uh, and what I noticed was she did not look, look sick at all, kind of like y'all have brought up on some previous podcasts, that she went, in, went into that quarantine area with a specific purpose to either kill everybody or to uh, do further damage. But my thoughts on that was, was she didn't, didn't look sick at all. She wasn't coughing, and she didn't have that sick look like most of the other, most of the other folks there in, the, in that quarantine area have. So I think we haven't seen the last of that storyline. Maybe I was supposed to include that one in the feedback. But you know what? I'm going to go with that being a holy crap, as in, holy crap, Lizzie did not look sick at all. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> all right. Thank you, Michael, for those comments. And our last call right now comes from John in central Kentucky. Gentlemen, great podcast. Uh, just finished your last episode from this past Monday. Uh, this is John from central Kentucky. I had a general thought for you. At the end of the episode, Rick was actually speeding up and watching the mirror behind him. I was kind of curious as to your thoughts. If possible, Carol left before he did. Do you think she might actually be heading back to the prison to possibly throw herself at the mercy of the uh, court? Uh, just wanted to see what y'all thought. Bye. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Again. Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, Rick looked in the rearview <laughs> mirror a bunch of times. <laughs> Good work. Yeah, I don't know. I may have I may have mixed up the calls, but anyhow, I think it's an interesting observation that we will probably talk about a little bit more later in the episode, but I noticed that too while I was watching it. Right. Okay, our first email of the section comes from Greg on the internet. And Greg says, "Holy crap, did you see season 4's best episode yet?" Michonne's epiphany regarding her search for her great white whale, the governor, while Daryl descends, seething at Bob and certain to come to loggerheads with Rick. And and finally, Rick's decision to expel Carol for her unilateral decision to terminate members of the community. 
Ironic in that Rick has also made a unilateral decision to expel her. Right. But he didn't kill her. No, he did not murder her. That is a distinction. Yeah, I think that might be the uh, the little distinction that uh, allows Rick to sleep at night. There you go. <laughs> All right, so we have an email from uh, Chuck from Planet Earth. That's what he said. And this one, again, is not really a holy crap, but I included it here because I think it qualifies. All right. Did anybody notice how little actual dirt Tyrese was moving with his shovel? That guy was ticked <laughs> off and shoveling like a madman. But each time he dug a shovel in, the amount of dirt dirt he tossed aside was comical. Sometimes he didn't have any dirt on the shovel at all. <laughs> so he was digging furiously, but really not doing much. Well, that's because he was so mad that uh, he wasn't paying attention to what he was doing. It just, uh, his brain was off doing something else, and his body was expelling energy by simply uh, moving the shovel in uh, digging-like motions. <laughs> right, but really making no progress whatsoever, even though he said to right. Bob, I'll, I'll be with you once they're in the ground. So it yeah, could have been so, days. Well, yeah, was... we yeah we let uh, they don't really mark time in a very specific manner in this show. So it very well could have been like uh, three and a half weeks later that right. uh, he finished. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, if he was moving that little dirt, sometimes not at all. It might have taken a while to dig a couple of graves. Yeah, I like that. Jason in Baltimore writes, "Hey guys, I know it is a bit late for my holy crap. Did you see that moment from episode two? But I keep thinking about it." My moment is when Daryl and Rick storm into cell block D to take down Patrick and his team of walkers. When Daryl and Rick walk in, uh, Daryl rips a shotgun out of a Woodbury redshirt guy's hands and passes it to Rick. It's as if Daryl is saying, without asking, give this gun to someone who knows how to use it. <laughs> Again, I did not notice that, but uh, it's funny. It is sort of funny. Yeah, I good one. I, did, I didn't notice that either. That's awesome. All right, so we have uh, an email from Phil in Kansas City. My holy crap, did you see that moment was Tyrese not letting go of the walker and Bob not letting go of the bag with the bottle in it. I think they both have real problems. I sure hope Tyrese stops being such an Andrea and grows a pair. And if Bob, well, and for Bob, well, I think I would drink too. Yeah. So both of these characters have some demons to uh, work through. Yeah. So Tyrese, uh, his demons is that uh, he's an Andrea right now. He is an Andrea, yeah. I should mention, these may be in a bit of a crazy order because clearly I didn't know what I was doing when I put these notes together today, and things are just all over the place. Well, there you go. And we've got two or three episodes to, to worry about, so that's... This whole episode's a feedback. Where we're at, a feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, okay, this one comes from Stephen and LBC. Now, Jason, last week we debated what LBC stood for. Yep. Do you remember what I postulated? Uh, I don't remember, but uh, I'm looking at the notes now, and I know what it's for, but we're uh, teasing well, the listeners. Last, <laughs> thanks for <laughs> throwing that out there. Last right. week, I said maybe Lower British Columbia. Yes, you did. There are parts of BC referred to as Lower BC, I think. Right. Yeah. Anyways, that's not what it is at all. Stephen clarified that it's actually Long Beach, California. Oh, that makes much more sense. Yeah, apparently that's what it's called in some, I think, rap and hip-hop communities that I don't know anything about. Right. So Stephen Cali from Sorry. California is this uh, this grand mystery way down south and over to the west of us. However, I love it there. But yes, oh, me too. I've I've been there too, and it's it's wonderful. But uh, I I don't pretend to understand it. No, it's that's a good point. Beautiful place, nice weather, fun people, but a little bit crazy. Yeah. 
Okay, so Stephen in LBC writes, My holy crap, did you see that this week was Peach Girl's leg. It looked awfully cut clean off. Not to mention, her body was pretty far away from it as well, unless we now have some axe-wielding zombies. Something isn't right. Hmm. And along those lines, Marty from Minnesota wrote, Did Greg, I think he means Sam, pull a chain and hobble that woman he was with to get away from zombies? The leg appeared to be cut, not torn off like a zombie would do. And why was the body all the way on the other side of the street? Why wasn't there any screams heard? Mysterious scene, in my opinion. That is strange. So I hadn't like, considered that. Yeah, it looked like her leg was chopped off, not torn off, and her body was pretty far away. Zombies don't really run off with their food like raccoons do. So Do raccoons do that? Well, I don't know. They might just eat your garbage right where it is. But I, I, some animals, you know, steal food and take it away for later, right? Yeah. Well, raccoons will wash their hands when they're done, too. Yeah, right. Raccoons are weird that way. They are. Um, so yeah, interesting. Couple of interesting points there, and I, I like Marty's guess that maybe uh, Sam, you know, chopped her off to to escape himself. Although they seemed pretty happy together, I'm not sure I can really see Sam doing that to her. The the other issue I have with that, and I, and I agree with you that uh, uh, they did seem pretty happy together. Uh, but you know, Shane and Otis seemed like the uh, the perfect couple as well while they were off getting medicine. Um, so the the other issue I have with this is I don't think Sam had uh, a bladed weapon that he could use to cut off her leg, but he did have a gun, did he not? Well, they said they had a gun with like twelve bullets, but they said they had knives. Or at didn't least Rick care- give him a gun? Uh, Rick did give him. Yeah, they, he actually Rick handed a gun to both of them. Yeah, so if he was going to hobble her, he would do the same thing Shane did. Shoot her in the foot and move on. And run away. I guess it does seem to be an awful lot of work to chop someone's leg off just to leave them to die. And we know that from the Walking Dead uh, Telltale game, is that uh, chopping off someone's leg is uh, not an easy thing to do. No. Spoiler alert. Sorry, I I do that backwards, don't I? Spoiler alert? You you do. You do. It's a a retroactive spoiler alert. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> not not quite as effective, but at least it's there. Yeah. Uh, you're right. In that scene in the game, I don't think I ever actually chopped his leg off successfully. Oh, I did. It was the only choice I made. You went... Took three chops. It was horrid. Yeah, I, I was fooling around trying to do other things before I decided to actually hack at it. So, uh, All right, who's next? All right, so we got Jason from Seattle. My holy crap moment was the last Carol scene. I did not see that coming. It makes sense in the world, but it's not something I would have predicted. Yeah, I'm, I'm with them there. This is, I think I said, the first episode in a long time that truly shocked me with its ending, and I was totally surprised. So that whole thing was definitely a holy crap for me. Yeah. Matt in Delaware writes, My holy crap moment this week is, Holy crap, someone get Bob a knife or a silencer. He's trigger happy. Not only is he a recovering boozer, but he's also wasting bullets and making lots of noise when it isn't necessary. Um, And he's referring to the vine zombie that he shoots after getting it off Tyrese. So Daryl pulls the zombie off, Bob walks up and shoots him in the head when there's really no reason to. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I I think that that thought occurred to me in the moment, that uh, that was a loud thing to do. Mm -hmm. But then again, the loud thing he did had zero repercussions. It ultimately seemed to, yeah, because uh, there were there were zombies um, inside still, but none more came out of the bush. So. Yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, you want to save ammo. You want to be quiet if you can. And if there's this one zombie on the ground with four people around, one with a katana, you think you wouldn't need to shoot it in the head to put it down. All right, so what do we have? We had a katana, we had a hammer, we had a crossbow, all three silent weapons, and uh, good old Bob Stuckey shows up with a with a pistol. With a pistol, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Bob needs to reorient his priorities, I think. He may. All right, so we have an email from Steve in Cambridge, Ontario. My holy crap moment of this episode was that we saw thousands of walkers last episode down the street from where, uh, from where they came from. Uh, and there was not one mention of them in this episode. Getting around them seemed easy, and no one sees this as something to worry about. Uh, we were told that the walkers would be more of a threat this season, but why should I take all those walkers seriously if they don't? You know, this occurred to me watching the episode, too. There were supposed to be 7,500 zombies on that street. How do you know that? Uh, Nicotero said it in an, uh, on Talking Dead, I think. Okay. That's the general uh, um, uh, understanding, that there were 7,500. And our heroes get out of the car, kill a few, run off into the forest, and eventually just get away and not seem to be worried at all about it. Now, if there were that many zombies... Now, I can understand that so many zombies wouldn't all pick up on the fact that there were living people that they could eat right there because there's just too many of them. Right? right. It's like if you're in a crowd of 5,000 people, you're not going to know that there's like somebody you know on the other side of the crowd. It's just impossible. Yeah. So, you know, they might have had they might have had some of the zombies chase them and follow them into the forest, but they would have killed some of them and then eventually just got away and separated themselves enough from the herd. But I can see Steve's point that nobody seemed to be like those 7,500 zombies were going the opposite way we were. What if they're heading towards the prison, and instead of having, you know, 25 or 30 at the fence, we have 7,500? Right. It seems to be something they should be concerned about, so I do hope it gets addressed in another in a future episode. Well, they are pretty far from the prison, so having the walkers, like if they have drove for a number of hours, which I believe they did, then those walkers would take uh, a long time to come across the prison if they even go in that direction. Well, that's true. I think they said they were 50 miles. The veterinary school was 50 yeah. miles from the prison. So you're right. They're pretty far. There's, there's no guarantee that uh, those zombies will get there. But when there's that many together, no matter what you're doing or where you are, you'd think that you would want to at least worry about it a little bit. Well, okay. So let's do some math here. So 50 miles. Uh-oh. Uh, how fast does a, z- a zombie shuffle or shamble? So we have, uh, you can walk at uh, four miles an hour. Let's say a slow pace is f- five miles an hour, just for fun. Wait, a slow uh, pace average is no, four? Uh, sorry, uh, it's a fast pace, I think, is four miles an hour. So let's go with eight miles per hour for a, or let's just round it off to 10 for a slow walk. Uh, well, 10 miles per hour. And then a shamble would be, let's say, 25 miles per hour. No, I'm going the other way, aren't I? You're going the wrong way. I'm I'm going the wrong way. Let's say one mile per hour. Yes. Let's say one mile per hour. One mile per hour for shamble speed. Yes. And uh, that's 50 hours. That's like two days. That's not very far for a zombie because zombies don't rest, right? They don't like, geez, I've been walking for four hours. I should sit down and make a meal and have a camp and relax a little bit. They just shamble. Right. So, in, so they could get to the prison in, say, three to five days. 
Sure, at the fastest, maybe two days. Now, they do have to go the right direction and not get distracted and all go some other way or something. But again, with that many, there's a good chance that a big chunk of them are going to end up at the prison if they indeed they are not going the totally opposite direction. Right. And like you said, one mile an hour, 50 hours, that's a couple of days. So that is not that long. And it's already going to be, you know, a whole... Uh, a whole other day, basically, since until uh, until the team gets back to the prison. So the zombies could be arriving there shortly after they do. Yeah. So it is a concern, and I think this is a valid point that somebody's going to have to. It, it can just be like a line of dialogue in next week's episode where Daryl says, "We saw a shit ton of zombies coming down the road. We better prepare for the possibility that they're they're going to show up here, and if they do." We aren't going to be able to stay. We're going to have to run. Something like yeah. that. They'll have to monitor that uh, that herd, I think, in order to track it to see uh, if it will come to the prison. That's interesting. How would they even do that, though? Yeah. They if they to- would, and, and I agree that uh, we saw a whole bunch of zombies in the last episode, but they were of zero concern, not even worth the line of, phew, we got past them all, and we're not going to have to worry about them anymore. Yeah. Just some kind of exposition to, uh, to help us out with... Uh, uh, dealing with what they had to deal with for those, that uh, large group of zombies. Yeah, well, there's no way they could they could deal with it. There's no way you can fight that many zombies. You basically have to try to get away from them. So, yeah. All right, is it my turn for the next one? I don't know. Yes, I think it is. Paul from the internet. That's yours. right. He writes, "My holy crap moment was them basically just writing Carol off the show. Her and Daryl have grown to be my favorite characters, and I'm none too happy with Rick or the show writers right now." Well, Paul, I think you can. Rest easy that I'm pretty sure it's not the last we've seen of Carol. No. Regardless yeah, I, of what happens, I'm almost positive she'll be back. Yeah, I think uh, I think this show has a lot in common with, uh, with Lost in that in Lost they consider dead is dead. If you die in the show, you are dead. They're not coming back. They're, uh, I mean, they skirted that with various things like Locke, for example. But I think in this show, dead is dead. If you see somebody die, they are dead. We did not see Carol die. She is coming back. Absolutely. She is coming yeah. back li- as a living character, not a ghost or a hallucination or something like that. She might show up uh, She might show up in the second half of the season uh, pregnant, but <laughs> I don't think that she is going to be not heard from for the rest of this year. Yep, I agree. All right, so we've got uh, Barbara from the internet. Uh, why do Carol and Rick spend so much time just talking? I mean, those were important conversations and all, but keep working while you talk, for Pete's sake. What I what I like about this one is that a lot of people complain about there's too much talking, too much dialogue, not enough zombies or action in The Walking Dead. What I like about Barbara here, she's saying that, yes, they talk a lot, but why just stand around when you're talking? Why not do something like search a drawer while you're talking or pack a bag or do something that you should be doing to, you know, continue what you're supposed to be there for gathering supplies yeah (laughs) i think it's an interesting (laughs) point (laughs) so uh do stuff don't just talk do stuff do stuff all right that's it for holy crap did you see that now we'll move into listener feedback listener feedback all right we are going to go with a couple of calls here first of all scott in dallas Hey guys, this is Scott from Dallas, Texas. I was just calling because I was listening to your uh, recap of the episode, and 
if you think about it, the dichotomy, or maybe not dichotomy, but uh, Herschel and uh, uh, Carl were out in the woods at the end of season three, and Herschel told Carl at that point in time that he didn't need to shoot the kid from Woodbury. Here we have the basic exact same type of scene where Herschel says to Carl, you don't need to do this. And Carl, being more mature, decides not to do it. I think that was actually put in there to uh, tell the point home that Carl has changed. Now, as to the walker with the thing on their leg, I I could be wrong, but I thought there were wheels on it, like somebody had uh, helped that walker um, be able to become more ambulatory again. Anyway, I just thought that I wanted to point those things out, so I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Bye. Thank you, Scott. So first of all, I didn't notice any wheels on on the thing on the walker's legs. I thought it was just a bear trap that you know the walker had gotten stuck in. But if there were wheels on it, that is nuts. I I don't know if there are wheels on it. I don't think it was a bear trap, but I think it was some kind of uh, it looked like a shopping cart or uh, some kind of thing that got stuck on there. I'm not really sure. No, to me, it looked like one of those bear traps that lay open until the bear steps in it, and then it they put their foot on the plate and it snaps shut like a on their leg like a mouse trap sort of um but and the walker just probably walked into it which is fine the walker doesn't really notice it just slows her down a bit but if it is actually some sort of contraption with wheels or holding the leg together so that the walker can continue walking that's not something that a zombie would do that's something that someone would have to put on a zombie or you know if the person stepped in a bear trap fell down starved to death and died and then became a walker that's how it would happen but if there were wheels on it that's just a whole other implication all right so bear traps when you put down a bear trap you chain it to something right so the bear when it clamps onto the bear or whatever it is the bear can't get away very true right so if it was a bear trap that person wouldn't probably remove or the zombie wouldn't probably remove the chain so uh, they would be stuck to whatever uh, was the bear trap was attached to that is a very, also a very good point that i hadn't considered so maybe it was a living person got stuck in a bear trap managed to re, you know detach the chain but couldn't open the bear trap then died and is now walking around it could be it's it's a lot of possible scenarios here next call comes from irving in sunny socal hey guys this is irving from sunny socal I uh, wanted to comment on Bob Stuckey and the bottle of booze and the Daryl incident. I'm thinking when Bob confessed to uh, Daryl, he felt like Daryl understands since Daryl did say, uh, you won't be alone anymore. And when uh, Bob fought uh, with all his might to try to keep that bag and everybody helped him out and you find out he has the bottle of booze, Bob was probably thinking Daryl would understand. And, in fact, Daryl felt betrayed. And because Daryl got upset because he felt betrayed, then Bob was feeling betrayed that Daryl wasn't understanding that he has that bottle of booze. 
I don't know. Tell me what you guys think. Love the show. Later. Thank you, Irving. Um, I guess just because, you know, Daryl forgave Bob once earlier on doesn't mean that, you know, that's all he has to say on the matter, especially if Bob, you know, does something that he doesn't like. Right. So, I mean, it's, you know, I, I guess that's what, that's probably what was happening. Yeah, I mean, Irving is right. Daryl, you know, forgave Bob, and then Bob immediately goes around and does something behind his back, gets more booze, and then Daryl just feels totally betrayed by it. So that's how he reacts. And it, it does make sense when you go yeah, look at it that and, way. Yeah, and there's a difference between forgiving someone for a theoretical incident that happened in the past which was, you know, picking up the bottle and putting it down, but putting it down too hard so that, uh, you know, that causes a chain of events that uh, resulted in someone's death mm-hmm. and actually having a bottle of booze there, succumbing to that uh, that urge. Right. Right. So, yeah, I, I can see it. I don't necessarily see it as a, a complete flip-flop. Uh, for Daryl, you mean? For Daryl, yeah. Yeah, for sure. He, um, it's It's different situations, both... Uh, obviously, because, you know, Bob apologizes and says, I'm working on this, which is all you really want to hear from someone who has a problem like that. And uh, so Daryl's cool with it, but then he clearly, clearly went the other way. So, right. All right. So we have an email from Ananta from the Internet on the storytelling in the last uh, couple of seasons. The Walking Dead seems like they're coming up with ideas on the fly without having a thought to their storyline. Incidents like the governor with Glenn and Maggie or the attack on the prison were captivating, but they were the oasis in a desert of hand-wringing about what to do and how to do it. The wrong decision is still more confidence-building than a long-standing insecurity around what to do, because there is potential to learn and to grow from it. It seems like each scene is at 70 to 75% of its potential and just needs a little extra work to become the show it was in season one. Well, interesting criticism of the show. Uh, you know, I don't know. The show does definitely have its ups and downs from a storytelling perspective and, and every other perspective. Um, but I don't know that it's consistently sort of uh, half-assed. <laughs> right. <laughs> or or three-quarter-assed, 70 to 75%. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it definitely has scenes that work better than others, episodes on the whole that are better than others. And uh, there have been times when there's been a lot of standing around and wondering what to do. Um, but I think overall, it's it's going somewhere. And to me, there are more good episodes than bad episodes, that's for sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I also agree with the, uh, you know, the, the concept of uh, a wrong decision is still more confidence building than a longstanding insecurity. There's an old, I think it's a military adage, where a good decision now is better than a perfect decision later or too late. Too late, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard that. And, yeah, that just do something right now. That's that's the main yeah. point of that, I yeah. guess. Okay, Allison from Indianapolis writes, uh, the one thing that really bothered me about the episode that I keep thinking about is the Tyrese Walker mob. I agree he is a bad dude with his hammer, but I wish we had seen a little more of him getting through all of them. It just didn't work for me. When he stumbles out of the woods, the first thing I would have said was, were you bitten? I was really anticipating this sequence since I viewed it in the season preview. Very anticlimactic. You know, I think I'm totally with Allison here. We we see Tyrese surrounded by zombies, like surrounded, as in he's not getting out of there. Or, 
If he does, it will be a miracle. And he's hammering away. You know, it's hammer time. But but then we cut away, and when we come back, he comes stumbling out of the woods, tired, but really no worse for wear. And it does feel like there's something missing there. Do you, do you, do you get that feeling? Uh, no. I mean, it's, uh, it's a storytelling, storytelling device to leave someone in a pickle and then have them show up later when you think it's, it's too late for them. They've, you know, they're, they're dead. Uh, it, you know, having a changeover and we have no idea what, what happened to him. And then all of a sudden he shows up and we're like, oh, that's good. He, uh, he survived that situation. Okay, that's fine. But don't you think maybe the other characters would have been like, oh my gosh, we thought you were dead. Uh, you know, are you hurt? Anything like that. They just kind of grabbed him and kept running, which I guess in the moment they had to do. But even maybe later, maybe in this episode, you know, when he's just maybe before he's washing his shirt, maybe we see them show up there and he takes his shirt off to clean up and they're like, oh my God, man, are you sure you're okay? Kind of thing. But I guess they just skipped over all that and we can assume that it took place. Well, I, I assume that uh, that it took place, and I think that if they did film that, that it got left on the cutting room floor, that it was probably it interfered with the pacing or the timing or the number of commercials they wanted to fit in or right. something like that. So, yeah, it makes sense that they would say something like, uh, were you bit or are you okay or, uh, you know, maybe put a shotgun to his head and say and, and then check him over. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to see if he was uh, has been bitten, but uh, I think that that does make sense. And if they did film it, and I believe they probably did film something along those lines, it just didn't make it into the show. Yeah, you may be right. I mean, maybe it's a DVD extra for next summer. Um, but uh, there have been one or two times on The Walking Dead where I've I felt like I've noticed the lack of something. And the last time it happened was actually in Clear when. Um, when Michonne from last season, when Michonne and Carl go to the King County cafe and remember they come out the front door and then she says, wait here a second. And she runs around back and all of a sudden she's inside and killing zombies or it was something like that. I forget. No, exactly she just showed up again with the, with the little uh, cat. Oh, she went the, back around, the, went in and just showed up again. Yeah. Yeah. With the paper mache cat. And I'm like, well, what just happened here? She just ran off and now she came back after, you know, they just got outside or uh, they just got away from the zombies. So it's, it, it had that kind of feeling to me. So I completely agree with Allison that it felt like something was missing. Maybe we just needed that one line in there saying, hey, man, are you okay? Are you still with us kind of thing? Right. But it right. didn't come. Yeah. All right. So we have an email from Christian in uh, Gothenburg, Sweden. I'm going to say Gothenburg, Sweden. Gothenburg? I don't think you pronounce T-H like T-H in English. Uh, okay. But you know I'm... what? Christian, correct us. Correct me if I'm wrong. Or correct me, because most likely I'm wrong. All right, this is on uh, Detective Rick. After Rick noticed the smaller handprint, he shortens his list of suspects. When Carol won't come with him to Tyrese, I'll pay my respects later, she says, and acts rashly in the water pipe situation, those are clues. So when Rick asks Carol if she did it, he doesn't know the answer. He just suspects it, though. Yeah, so a lot of people wrote in and said, because we had talked about how does Rick know? How did he connect a bloody handprint on the wall to Carol? And a, and a, a number of people wrote and said, well, you got to look at the whole episode. You got to look at how she's uh, not wanting to go see Tyrese. She sends Rick over by himself. You know, she disobeys him. So Rick 
accumulates all these things in his mind and so he might already be feeling a little weird to her about her and then the handprint a lot of people sort of thought well he realized that it was smaller so it was probably a woman's handprint and just with everything shaken around in his brain he thought well maybe it's carol maybe it's maggie but carol's here so let me ask her i don't know if it's her but i'm gonna ask and we'll right. see we'll see what comes of it so i still don't know that there was quite enough there for him to make the jump or figure it out but i think like you said uh, last week or the week before that it was just a good police hunch yeah it could be a hunch he, you know it also he also might have asked everybody and <laughs> that's the one that uh that we saw yeah you know maybe they should have given him like a black eye or a cut fat lip or something when he asked maggie and she punched him in the face <laughs> you know yeah that that would have explained that right there it could happen all right chris from the uk writes still no governor this might be a genius move I remember you guys saying after the finale of season three that you didn't really care where he was going, but I bet you're starting to get curious now. They keep dropping him into conversations to keep the idea alive, and I, for one, want to know what he's been up to. So this email from Chris in the UK is absolutely um, uh, explains how I feel about the governor. I remember saying that I was so disappointed with that scene and the finale of season three that I, at the time, I didn't even care where the governor was going or what he was going to do or what we were going to see of him again. And Chris perfectly presented it here because I totally see what he's saying. I am starting to get extremely curious the longer it goes where we haven't seen the governor of what's going on with him. So you care now? I do. I do care now for some reason. It's really, really interesting the way they've done this, you know? Such a lackluster finale, and now they just keep dropping him into the conversation. He's been, he hasn't been mentioned by name in every episode, but the idea of him is always there. Michonne has all, it's always been on her mind, and that's being portrayed to the viewer. And it's got me wondering, like, where is he? What's he doing? And when's he going to show up? Right. With his uh, transport full of uh, spikes and things, just like Road Warrior. Yes, has you know, has he got that built yet? Or yeah, he's working on that right now. Yeah, that's my prediction. All right, so we have an email from Roman in Toronto. During your recap, you were confused what Daryl says to Bob at the clinic. Daryl tells Bob if he has one drop before the people get their medicine, he will kick his ass. Uh, the reason for that is Bob knows how to read the medicine and is knowledgeable about the doses needed to treat the illness at the prison. The group needs him sober in order to distribute the medicine perfectly logical thank you roman for clearing that up for us yep perfectly logical it uh you don't want your your doctor or your army medic to be drunk while he's giving you the medicine that yeah that's that's a rule it is you don't want your doctor to be drunk while he's doing anything to you frankly <laughs> yeah frankly <laughs> so there you go. Uh, and, and this is the uh, one of the things i like about having a separate uh recap podcast not a recap podcast from feedback podcast because uh, now we can get feedback from the recap in our feedback. <laughs> okay, so it's a feedback feedback with recap feedback. That's correct. Very good. I don't think I can say that again, but let's uh, let's, let's go just with move that. on. Yeah, James from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, writes: I think the way Carol began acting. She was beginning to draw inspiration from the Shane School of Coldness. Maybe Rick saw this and decided she needed to go. 
Overall, I didn't love this episode, but Daryl getting in Bob's face, Michonne smiling, and Rick making hard decisions earned at least a little bit of positives. Hmm. So Carol is turning into Shane. That means she's going to get bit by a zombie, and Carl's going to have to shoot her in the face. All right, then. All right, so we have an email from Connie in Connecticut. Sorry, sorry. I have a call I want to insert here. Which I which is not on your list. Sorry. We'll okay. Get, we'll get to Connie in one second. All this, right. This is from Jason in Tampa. Hi guys, this is Jason from Tampa. I'm listening to you guys talk about whether Carol's going to run into the governor, and I think it's interesting that the person that they chose to expel is probably the only main character that has not actually met the governor. So you could argue that she would not know who what he looked like, who he was. I mean, the only time that she's ever even come close to interacting with him was when he attacked the prison. And during that melee, you could make a pretty easy case that you wouldn't you wouldn't be seeing all the faces and knowing who everyone is. So I think they might be setting that up. Thanks. Bye. So we uh, mentioned this in our recap, and a friend of the show, Dave, and I were talking about this today too. But Jason from Tampa called in with the uh, with a similar theory and just put it very succinctly in that Carol is really one of the only main characters that never ran into the governor directly, doesn't necessarily know what he looks like or who he is. So if she does run into some new people out there and it's him, she might be like, hey, this guy seems nice. Well, yeah. that would be uh, that would be very interesting. And unfortunate probably for her, but you never it would. know. Yeah. All right, Connie, sorry about that. Uh, so Connie from Connecticut on uh, why Rick outcasted Carol. I think that the reason that Rick kicked Carol out was she failed the third question. Have you ever killed a human and why? The thing, uh, uh, the thing she was lacking in her answer was remorse. Rick is always plagued by remorse. Remorse for killing someone is a sign of humanity. Because she was so sure that she was right, he couldn't trust her with his family anymore. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I mean, we've got, as you can tell, we've got a lot of feedback here about Carol, and we've got some more to come but uh those are the those are that's kind of the second and third question how many people have you killed and why and uh that's essentially i think what rick is looking for he wants to know if you still feel bad about killing people and if not maybe you're not the kind of person he wants around that could be and that seems to be where carol was coming from Uh, This email comes from Amanda on the internet. She says, I did not expect Carol to leave. I never believed Lizzie to be the one to have done it, but she looked so guilty. Plus, she did not look sick at all in this episode. If Carol just got sent away for something she didn't even do, I wonder how Daryl will react. I sort of see him and Michonne joining forces to find her and the governor. Yeah, she said the trail had gotten cold, but now they have two birds, so together they can be that one stone and go off and find them. So that's a good way to, of looking at that uh, that saying, two birds with one stone. <laughs> yep, they can too be bad. the one stone to go after the two birds. And it's too bad you kill the two birds with one stone. Uh, yes, generally you do, <laughs> so we'll see what happens there. Yeah. All right, so we have an email from Jason on the internet. It's a long Am one. I- It's a long one. Uh, Am I the only one who is well beyond tired of Rick? Season three was almost unwatchable to me between the way the writers ruined a perfectly good and strong character like Andrea and the uh, unbearably emo Rick. 
I really hoped this season would be better, but with each episode, he continues to annoy me greatly. And last night was the topper. On top of being emo, now he is holier than thou. Obviously, Carol... Uh, obviously, Carol could have handled the David and Karen situation better, but at least she did something, anything. And considering what happened with Patrick, she was justified. All the while, Rick has shown indifference and, is, and has seemed hell-bent hell on giving his son a childhood, which he spent the previous three seasons growing out of, in a world where kids need to grow up fast and not sit around reading comics. Now he has got. Uh, now he has to go back and tell the group that he had that he had a rictator moment and has made a decision without them. Something he said he wouldn't do anymore last season. I could go on, uh, but it's just. It, but it would just be me more being more bitchy. Oh no, being just be more bitching. <laughs> it's all right. Be bitchy. Uh, basically, I want to know: Am I the only one who finds Rick absolutely unbearable? I can't be the only one. I got to say that Rick is still one of my favorite characters on the show. He's, you know, he's number one man and he's the leader most, you know, sometimes. And I think he's one of the most interesting characters on the show, although everybody has their moments. Um, And I think it's, you know, I think it's completely within the realm of possibility that a character like this would not necessarily be consistent in their decision making it's hard to to uh to rule in one particular way i think and you know every situation is different so what feels right one time might not feel right the next time and that's part of just being human i think yeah well i have a saying uh consistency is the refuge of the weak-minded you have a saying for everything man i do have a saying for everything well rick is not weak-minded and I think he is making decisions that he think best are best for the particular situation he's in. Right. And the next email comes from Sarah in Wisconsin. She says, hey, guys, just got done watching the la- latest episode, and I don't think we've seen the last of Carol. I'm just uh, I'm just not see how I just don't see how we will see her next. Rick said she is strong enough now to take care of herself, but I'm not so sure. I think she has been drawing strength from trying to protect the group and most specifically the kids. Without this group to protect, does she just give up? I'm afraid that the next time we see her, she will be a walker on the other side of the fence. Oh, geez. How anticlimactic yet shocking and upsetting would it be for Carol to just, you know, Walker Carol to show up outside the fence and, uh, someone just stabs her in the head and she falls in a heap on the ground i don't think that would be anticlimactic i think that would be uh very similar to what happened with sophia her daughter it would be a parallel story i don't know man sophia coming out of the barn was built up to so it was the payoff to a a huge build-up carol this will be too i think it will be but i don't think it's going to be her showing up at the fence as a zombie right i mean that may happen but there'll be something else that uh, there'll be something else that happens before then that's got to really, you know, get our, pique our interest. Right. Or or just drive drive a, an amazing story or something like that. Right. And and they've already done that. Right. So with, with, with Sophia, it's already been done. Yeah. So yeah, I, I guess so. I don't know. I have, okay, here, this is a little bit spoilery, people, but I have uh, an idea of what I think might be going on here. 
And okay. um, this is a bit spoilery for the comic book. I'm not going to get into specifics, but it has to do with um, Tyrese's character in the comic book. In the comic, Tyrese gets captured by the governor at one point, and then his fate is determined by the governor at some point later on. And I think that if Carol ends up with the governor, she may be her that the storyline, the Tyrese storyline from the comic may be played out with Carol on the TV show. Okay. And that's all I will say. It's vague yet spoilery. Exactly. It's spoilery <laughs> and vague and non-specific. <laughs> right. So go read the comic and that may or may not make sense. Right, exactly. And again, I don't know what I'm talking about, so it's just a theory when it comes to the TV show. But thinking back about how the governor's storyline played out and how Tyrese was involved, I don't think they're going that way on the TV show, but maybe they're using that story with a different character, which they've done many times in this show, and I think maybe Carol's the one, if indeed she ends up with Mr. Governor. Right. That's true. All right, so we have an email from Matt in Hermiston, Oregon. Oregon? Oregon? Uh, either way. All right, either way. I don't know if Rick, in good conscience, could have done anything other than exile Carol. The death penalty wouldn't sit well with the rest of the group. Uh, if he let her stay, someone would have killed her out of vengeance. As Rick was driving away, he kept looking back as if he was expecting to see her following him. It seemed, He seems torn by the decision that he made. Yeah, and I think any uh, intelligent, rational, reasonable person probably, you know, is torn by a lot of decisions you make. It's, it's, there are always alternatives, right? And you have to just make a call, but it doesn't mean you can't consider the other options even after you've made the decision. Yeah, it's true. And, and regarding him looking in the rearview mirror, I noticed that too in the episode. He looks in it two or three times in that last scene. And many people are speculating that he's either looking to see if she's, well, looking to see if she's following him and either um, checking to make sure she's not, or maybe hoping that she is. Do you have a theory, right. Jason? Uh, well, I'm just, uh, was he actually looking in the mirror? When, like when he, uh, The shot of him looking in the mirror was him driving and looking up at the rear view mirror. Is that right? We see a shot from the back seat out the front window and we see his eyes go up to the rearview mirror and then we cut to a shot from the passenger front seat and you know it's a side view of him sort of and his eyes i think go up to the mirror rearview mirror twice right now you're supposed to do that while driving so you check your mirrors and so on so it's not unreasonable that he would be doing that but i think the implication was he's looking for something and it's probably seeing if carol's back there somewhere Right. Well, uh, I was just reviewing that part in, uh, in another computer over here, and I was just uh, thinking, you know, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Fonz, when he was riding his motorcycle, his rearview mirrors were actually pointing at him so that he could look at himself in the rearview mirror. And, you know, I, I think it was Richie asked him, why do you do that? And it's like, well, why do I want to see where I've been? I would <laughs> rather look at me. Yeah, that's awfully egotistic. <laughs> so do we know that the mirror was pointed out the back of the car is my question. Maybe it was pointed at Rick and he's just checking out his new sexy beard. Uh, you know, maybe, but I'm pretty sure it was pointed out the back of the car. <laughs> yeah, so I guess he was, uh, I, I I don't think he was looking to see if, uh, if Carol was following him. I think he was looking back to try and decide if he had made the right decision. 
It was more of an it was more of a, an internal thing. Looking back, going, did I make the right decision back there? Kind of an unconscious thing, really used as symbolism in the episode, right? Looking right. back and yeah. wondering if what he did was right. Yeah, I like that. Okay, Amanda from Cary, North Carolina writes, and uh, this is long, and I had to edit it for length. So sorry, Amanda, but I think uh, I think your point is uh, comes across here. She says, for me, this entire episode had the theme of battle of the alphas and crime and punishment. Both groups had themes on how the leader must make decisions to punish other members for their actions that risk the group's safety. Rick reviews the number of times Carol has betrayed his leadership. She kept her secrets and lies about teaching kids knife lessons. She decides to get water despite him saying it could wait until tomorrow. Finally, she killed Karen and David in a course of action that only a leader could make. During the course of their journey together, Rick heavily weighs if Carol should have a life or death sentence. He notes how she interacts with the new hippie couple, how she answers questions about family life and pancakes, and her opinions on how his lack of leadership has affected the group. I think Rick made the best decision he could. He weighed all information and chose, as always, the lesser of evil options. Right. Send her away. Don't kill her. I don't have a good choice here basically yeah there's no good choice no not not really you're absolutely right there's never any good choices not on this e one <laughs> easy answers that are morally correct man that'd be awesome that'd be great all right so we have an internet an internet we have angie from the internet <laughs> with an email <laughs> with an email uh it looks like you may have edited this one for length as well so angie discusses carol's lack of remorse and rick's difficult decision then finishes with this in the final scenes, with the teary-eyed glances in the rear-view mirror, oh, he's teary-eyed now, I couldn't help but think Rick was desperately hoping Carol would be driving behind him, catching up to plead her case, and convince him she hasn't changed so much that she is now capable of cold-blooded murder, premeditated murder. So we should have put this one uh, before with the other email, but yeah, so Angie clearly thinks that Rick is... is um, regretting his decision and hoping that Carol's going to catch up with him. Right. Uh, but uh, who really knows? Finally, we're going to give the last word here to Devin from Chico, California. And I think he perfectly sums up Rick's decision-making um, process or, you know, just what goes into this kind of decision in this sort of scenario. Right. Devin writes, I believe banishment was the right call. But doing so unilaterally sends a bad precedent. Here's why. Remember the context of what's led to this point. Carol has been untrustworthy and inhumane. She told Carl to lie to Rick, disregarded Rick's call on the water pump, and murdered two people whom the council put on quarantine. And she's shown a remarkable lack of empathy. In season four, she, uh, she was especially cold. Sorry, in episode four, she was especially cold. Moreover, her adherence to do whatever it takes for the group is not a supreme moral principle. It leads down an awful path. For instance, should a doctor kill a healthy patient to harvest his organs for healing five other patients? No. There are other moral principles than the greatest good for the greatest number, such as treating people as ends in themselves instead of merely means. Such untrustworthiness, lack of empathy, and her decision to murder are not acceptable in a healthy society, and that principle must be communicated to the society as a whole for it to remain healthy. 
Thus, banishment, I think, is probably the best call. However, by Rick making that decision on his own, it weakens his authority as a leader and makes the law seem arbitrarily based on Rick's decisions, which is not good. He should have brought her back to the jail and held a trial. It would have been hard, no doubt, but would assure the prison community that their group values both people and a just law. Wow. What, do you, what do you think of that? Uh, I think Devin would have really liked the panel on zombie morality on the uh, on the Saturday. Zombie ethics at WalkerStalkerCon. Zombie ethics, yeah, at WalkerStalkerCon. That would. Uh, this is a, a great argument, and uh, I absolutely agree. And there are things like you can't just you know the the needs of the one out or the needs of the many out uh, outweigh the needs of the few or the one which is a very Star Trek, you know, Spock type of, uh, of thing. You can't necessarily just apply that logic to everything. There's, uh, you know, you have responsibilities to individual. That's, a, that's an individual life. Mm-hmm. You can't just uh, sacrifice that life for the greater good. That's, that's a, a not necessarily a valid argument. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's just one of those things where there is no universally right answer to a, a scenario like this, right? Sometimes the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and sometimes it's the other way around, probably. Like Devin says, you know, people are ends in themselves instead of merely means. The individual is just as important as the group because without individuals, there is no group. So, yeah, it, it comes down to sort of an ethical call and I think Devin really laid it out uh, very well in his email here. Absolutely. And, and you know, that zombie ethics panel at Walker Stalker Con, we probably talked about it briefly in our, our um, recaps of the day days. But I just want to reiterate that it was really fascinating. And even though it was only an hour long, maybe not even an hour, I felt like it could have gone two or three hours longer with those guys on stage discussing it. Oh, and yeah. I never would have lost interest in being there um, because it was just such a fascinating topic. So, uh, yeah, zombie ethics. If 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 you were at it at Walker Stalker Con or you were there and missed it, you you missed something special. And if you know they do it in the future, I highly recommend going to it because it it was really really fascinating. I, I would want to. I think I might want to be a groupie of these guys. Like follow them around and listen to their panels as they tour across the country. I think that would be awesome. I don't know that they all tour together, but you know we could uh, we could reach out and see if one or any of them want to come on and give, oh, that'd be great. Give us a little more. We'll do a zombie ethics podcast. Yeah, I could have listened to that panel all day, like just them talking, uh, you know, just passing the mic around because that's they work so well together, right? They would. One of them would uh, bring up an argument and talk about stuff, and then someone else would comment on that and bring up their own stuff, and they didn't step on each other's toes. They didn't. Uh, they just all expanded on what the other one was saying. It was, uh, you know, that very much that uh, uh, that adage: yes and, right? You don't say no. You don't stop anybody. It's just like yes and build on it. Yes, right? and Jason, I completely agree. Yes, it was. Uh, it was awesome. It was totally I'm awesome. Speechless and befuddled. <laughs> Unlike the guys on who were on stage. No, those guys were eloquent and uh, thinky. <laughs> Not befuddled. <laughs> thinky. Not like Jason. No. Think brain talk now. All righty. <laughs> Thank you, Devin, for having the last word there. We got so many emails, you know, about Rick's decision and Carl's reaction and whether it was the right thing to do or not. 
Um, I chose a bunch of them there. There was sort of both sides. Um, but uh, I really I really like Devin's final argument. And uh, that, even though it was the last one, I'm going to say is the listener email of the week. Right. I had to uh, say well, you had to say it. I had to say it. I had to save it for the end. Though. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's in a uh, a place of honor. Exactly. One one last thing about that panel is that I kind of I, I kind of wish that the uh, that this episode aired before that panel happened, because then we'd have a lot more to talk about on that panel. That panel would have uh, I would have asked questions specifically about this episode and the morality of Rick's decision and the morality of. Uh, and the ethics of, of a lot of different things in this episode because it was very kind of ethic, uh, ethic, ethical centric. Well, keep write them down, write down those questions, or keep them in mind somehow because maybe we will look into doing that. I would like that. All right, that's going to wrap up all the feedback and stuff for this episode. If you want to send in your comments, give us a call one eight six six four eight three Z O M B. That's nine six six two. You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. You can also send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Other than that, don't forget to go and vote for Jason and Karen on the Walking Dead cast for, uh, uh, I don't know, podcast of the year, whatever it's up for. Unfortunately, <laughs> I can't remember. I think they're nominated for in the TV and entertainment category and maybe for best produced too, something like that. Anyways, nice. go, go, uh, go vote for them once a day for the next week and a half or so when they win, we all win. Mm-hmm. And, um, we will be back on Monday night after, after next Sunday's episode of the walking dead has aired. So until then for the talking dead, my name is Chris and my name is Jason. Thank you for listening, everyone. Ciao.